This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. It's another edition of the Equalizer podcast. Yes, this is not Dan Loletta. My name is Rachel Krieger. I'm hosting the show this week. Dan, um, I don't know if it was a good idea for him to pass along the reins to me, but I guess we'll just find that out as we go. But Dan is taking a much-deserved, uh, well-deserved weekend off from the Equalizer podcast. I'm going to be hosting today, and I'm not alone. I have my friend Pardeep Katri with me. How are you today? I am doing well. Great. That's all. I think that's all you can ask for in a pandemic (laughs) for sure for sure we have a really fun show we have a lot of different topics we are going to cover today um and then we have some questions at the end that we will get to but first off we had the uefa women's champions league um happen this past week the matches were on tuesday and um or no they weren't on tuesday what they were on Thursday and Friday and, and Saturday. Friday and Saturday. See, I don't all know the what days blend in. It's fine. That, yeah, exactly. Like we were just talking off air about what days we can sleep in and whatnot. And if you can't tell, today was not one of the days I got to sleep in. <laughs> so we had the quarterfinals on Friday. We had Atletico Madrid and Barcelona. Barcelona edged out a one nothing victory. I have a funny story about that later. If you haven't seen my Twitter, then you don't know it um and then we had Wolfsburg take out Glasgow City in a nine to one victory but the one goal from Glasgow was really really something so that we'll get to talking about that and on Saturday we had a really close match between defending champions Lyon and Bayern Munich but Lyon edged out a two to one victory and the same scoreline happened with Arsenal and Paris Saint-Germain with PSG taking over the win. So we've got France, Germany, and Spain represented in the semifinals. But let's talk about the quarterfinals a little bit. I guess, why don't we just go game by game here? And, um, Party, what did you see from the Barcelona Atletico game that you liked and that you didn't like? So I was thrilled with the fact that it was pretty competitive. Obviously, Barca was dominant they had lots of shots but Atleti showed up to this tournament with its third coach this season with a lot of ins and outs in terms of their squad and on top of that a little bit of their own COVID-19 crisis and they had they missed a lot of days of training so the fact that they were able to compete in such a manner I think I was happy to see that but you know in the end Barcelona they they got the win that they deserved. So I think I'm happy about that too. Yeah, I was going to say that's something that was talked about a lot during the broadcast because Barcelona just absolutely um, outmatched Atletico when it came to offense, 16 shots and six on goal, whereas Atletico only had one shot. And it just, you kind of felt like there was going to be a deadlock. Oshola was really really busy of course had the assist on the and we're just going to put this out there right now we are not the best at pronunciating names um i certainly am not so apologizes in advance um kiera hamurai i have no idea this is why i'm not a hamurai yeah thank god i have you um this is why i'm not a broadcaster scored in the 80th minute and i thought the goal was so funny because Oshola just did all of this work. She attempted the bicycle. She had the assist. And it literally just looked like uh, Hemorrhoi 
just tapped in the goal, like really didn't have to do much. She was just at the right place at the right time, just taps it in and it goes past uh, Hedvig Lindenval. Yeah, honestly, that that's just kind of the way it happens sometimes. It's hilarious that the person who puts in like almost seemingly the less effort gets the credit for it. But, you know, in the end, that for me was definitely coming from Barcelona, right? Yeah. Atleti, Lindahl especially, had put in the effort, had done a lot of great work, and I did feel a little bit bad for them that coming all the way to the 80th minute and then conceding when it looked like maybe there was a chance extra time was happening. But like I said, it's that was the team that deserved that goal. That was the team that was did that deserve that win. And a lot of credit to Barcelona for doing that. And the uh, the goal came at a perfect time. The the mini story that I have, um, we, we have a another social media person here at Equalizer, Emily Dolhanty, and we were messaging because we split the games each day. And you know, I said to her, I was like, you know, I I gotta get, I get to, I gotta go after this game. I I totally forgot there might be extra time. And so I li- I texted her something like, I don't care who scores, but good lord, I need a goal. So if you could have somebody score, that would be great. And a minute later, I'm telling you, Barcelona scored. I was like, <laughs> I I don't know if you're allowed to pray for goals, but thank you. <laughs> so You should try that more often. I See clearly if that's like something you actually have a superpower for. That I mean, there's a good, good chance. Right. And then we have some Optus like stats about it. <laughs> Yeah, just give me my own page um, for predictions and we'll see if it if it works out. Um, But yeah, Barcelona advances a uh, tale of two Spanish teams playing in that game. And then we head over to the other quarterfinal that happened on Friday between Wolfsburg and Glasgow City. Um, Not a very friendly scoreline to Glasgow. Glasgow, excuse me, uh, Wolfsburg kind of just went in and, and did what everybody kind of expected them to do and what they were supposed to do. Pernille Harder had four goals, securing a hat-trick to her name. Only four goals. Yeah, definitely a lot of opportunity. And then Ingrid Ingen had two goals. Feliciats Rauch had a goal and then two own goals came from Glasgow. But I mean, give it to Glasgow and Lauren Wade for being able to score against a very tough Wolfsburg team. Obviously not the result they wanted, but still it, it was a, if you like goals, it was a very entertaining game. But if you were a goalkeeper watching the game, you might be, uh, you might be cringing a little bit. Look, credit to Glasgow. They got the best goal of the game. And sometimes maybe that's a fine consolation. I mean, probably sucks on their end to be on the end of that scoreline, particularly with the two own goals. But I don't know. I'm just trying to find the silver linings for them because otherwise this is a very, very classic example of a thrashing. Well, just, I noticed a lot of just love for, from them. Um, or for them, I should say, from the women's soccer community, a lot of people saying, you know, forgive me, I don't, I don't have my research on Glasgow done um, as as timely as I'd like, but I understand that there are players who have part time jobs that play for them, and to make it to the quarterfinal of the Champions League, I mean, that's that's pretty darn impressive. For sure, no question, and I mean, it goes. It's great, this increase in professionalism in the women's game. Obviously, basically all the other teams there are professional. So hopefully these players that are playing for Glasgow get that reward too at some point. Because, yeah. I mean, every, every a lot of times these score lines, especially in the women's game, are more reflective of, they're not just reflective of failures on the field, but sort of failures off them too and not to get sort of into a different conversation though I suppose it's relevant oh you know it for sure is right like until these failures at these huge score lines are about solely on the field preparation and on the field play I don't think you can think about that stuff without that added context it's, of course, a lot of credit to them for even making it this far. But in the end, at any stage of this game, you want players to have all of the proper preparation in the world. 
whether they're facing somebody like Wolfsburg or somebody else. Yeah, and what's the saying? You have to play the best to be the best. So for them to play against a really solid team in Wolfsburg is only going to help Glasgow City in in terms of not just growing on the pitch, but growing off the pitch, maybe getting more eyes on the team. I mean, making a quarterfinal of a, of a Champions League competition, no matter if it's, you know, CONCACAF, UEFA, whatever. I, it's, it's a very important big feat to accomplish. And I think that, you know, the more that these lesser known teams get to these big stages in these games. And I mean, the game was aired on CBS All Access. That's a lot of people watching that game. So they're getting eyes on them, not just in um, in their own country, but around the world and here in the United States. And, you know, now people are certainly going to remember the name Lauren Wade. She was trending on social media. So um, it, it's the type of recognition that while the scoreline wasn't entirely favorable to them, it wasn't bad attention, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. And you just brought up CBS All Access. And we, I think we have to take a second here to just say how awesome it is that they ended up picking up the coverage, even if it took them a while. Look, for the women's, for women's soccer Twitter, for the people there that willed this into existence, we are reaping the rewards of that. I'm just they- happy that those <laughs> games were easy to access for the uh, for those of us in the states because I, I look I like watching as much soccer as possible I had a blast watching this and I'm looking forward to the other games. The power of women's soccer Twitter not to yeah. be messed with. <laughs> and they, and they use their sure. powers for good a lot. Yes, they do. So you know, a- absolutely. Yeah, and we had some more good stuff happening yesterday too. Um, like I said earlier, Lyon were really kind of cutting the edge a little bit when it came to facing off against uh, FC Barcelona, another German powerhouse team, Nikita Fire. Paris, uh, in the 41st minute with a goal. And boy, did she get just knocked out uh, by the goalkeeper on that yeah. play. That was, I mean, okay, we, we got to take a second before we talk about the other goals. Red card, yellow card, nothing. Your opinion. Huh. I would have to do. I would have to consult VAR first. Uh, <laughs> Spoken like a real referee. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, I don't want a referee's reputation anymore. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um. You know what? I'll say yellow card for now. Okay. That's. I very- will say that. That's that's very like in the middle. I will be in the middle on that. I think it's. It, de- it was definitely gray. I think it was gray. I could understand how the goalkeeper might have um, thought that the ball was in play, but I think just like watching it in slower motion, it just, the ball went off of Nikita Paris, I think way before, you know, the goalkeeper got into, you know, an a inch, six inches of, of her. So I, I said red card on Twitter. Come at me if you must, but I, I think I'm I'm gonna stick with that for um fine call by me. <laughs> well, this is why we're not referees. Thank God. Yeah, this is this is not the only reason I'm not a referee. <laughs> <laughs> there are many reasons. Help me out with this name. Amel Majri. Majri, thank you. See, this mm-hmm. is why I had Pardeep join me on this show. Um Thank scores you. the game winner, <laughs> scores the game winner for Lyon, but then Bayern made it a little bit interesting with Carolyn Simon. That one's an easy one to say. So Carolyn Simon with a goal in the uh, in the 64th minute, making it really interesting for Barcelona in terms of coming for a comeback against a team that you know everyone just thinks and and rightfully so they're allowed to think it just breezes through the competition. Yeah, but. Bayern really made a go for it at the end. It it would have been fun to see if they got uh, to see them get another one. But I think in the end, Leon probably fairly edged out of that one. They probably did. But that it's interesting to see them have to play these closer games because we, like you said, we just assume that they're going to breeze through it and. They'll make it to the final without any particular complications, and they'll win that too. 
It might still happen this year. Uh, who I mean, I don't think anybody would be surprised if they still ended up winning. But it's not always that easy, is it? Yes, Lyon showed that they are certainly human. And then you have to take into account that these teams were off for just, what, five, four or five months of not playing soccer. And now here they are back and they're thrown into Champions League action. So it's it's definitely an interesting situation. Lyon showing their uh, hu- humanistic side. Um, lots of um, close-ups of Lucy Bronze looking really annoyed with the referee, which I always think is is funny and interesting. But um, at the end of the day, I mean, they put it away. At the same time, I don't think they finished as defensively strong as they're used to. And a team with, with you know, everyone looks at Wendy Renard because, you know, she's a presence both physically and just, you know, with her um, tactics on the pitch. I think she's one of the best defenders, if not the best defender in the game right now. And, you know, just a team with someone like her kind of crumbling there and, and letting up a goal for Bayern. It was very uncharacteristic, but like I said, at the same time, showing that they're human. Yeah, I mean, it adds just another layer of intrigue and interest to this Champions League tournament yeah we might be having a um new name for it like we did for the challenge cup the uefa women's chaos league instead of i always want chaos so if that happens i'm going to be very happy you you need to meet um my friend matt pollard at last word on soccer you two would get along for your love of chaos (laughs) yeah all right a team that did put it away, though, at the end um, is Paris Saint-Germain. They put it away against Arsenal. So no more English clubs in the UEFA Women's Champions League. Marie Antoinette Cotato scored in the 15th minute on a just wide open goal. Not not so great defending from Arsenal. She kind of snuck in on the side and was able to tap it home. Beth Mead pulled one back in the 39th minute, but then Signe Braun? Brune? Yeah, I, I think that's Brune. Okay, Signy, Signy <laughs> Brune put it away in the 77th minute. So, you know, I was looking at the, um, the score lines for yesterday's game and, and how the teams finished. And I think that, you know, not to get into too much of a preview of sorts, but Paris Saint Germain, they have to be confident in the way that they put the game away and looking at the way Lyon finished their game and thinking, well, we got the final goal. We finished strong. So that, that has to provide some confidence. Oh, that's the main takeaway out of this round of games, isn't it? That P, that Lyon looked human and PSG could capitalize on that. Of course, it's going to be a different task entirely. But again, PSG looked really good against Arsenal. They weren't perfect, but they looked the part. I mean, Katoto had a fantastic game. She's a player that I think, I mean, she's very, very good. She, I really like watching her play, so I'm not surprised that she had a terrific game today. Oh, well, yesterday, whatever day, any day is. But yeah, yeah, that's my main takeaway from that game. I just, I just keep thinking about the semifinal that's coming. Yeah, absolutely. I thought Diani was really good too, um, on the right side of the pitch. I really enjoyed watching her and, um, Ashley Lawrence link up. Lots of Canadians on this team, but one Canadian we didn't get to see was Jordan Heidema. Were you surprised at all about not, not seeing her? Hmm. Honestly, I mean, the team has a lot of talent. (laughs) Yeah, right. Exactly. Like that, that's my takeaway there is that sure. Maybe I'm a little bit surprised, but at the same time, there are a lot of people that a lot of options there. Maybe she'll get some more minutes later, but I guess it depends. You're getting into the tougher games and bigger games. I think I would be surprised if at some point she doesn't end up getting some minutes though. Yeah, and you have to think about the time that they had off, too, and the fact that you need to rotate because these players are coming back after four or five months. I was really surprised that Paris Saint-Germain just used three subs. Because are they doing the six-sub rule or five? I think they're doing six. Yeah, yeah. it's That's been such an interesting thing to follow since soccer has come back during this pandemic is which types of coaches respond better to having more subs than not. And, like, during the Challenge Cup, I thought 
coaches were pretty good at using all the subs that they had. But I remember watching some Premier League games and those coaches were not always great at using <laughs> all of their subs. Like I'm a Tottenham <laughs> fan and I remember complaining about how Jose Mourinho does not like to use subs. So, yeah, that's just been such an interesting thing to follow throughout this time. (laughs) But I think I I just am generally very shocked that more coaches won't do it. And I don't know, I guess I'd be interested to hear from them why they don't do it. Because it feels like more subs is, I don't know, a good thing. But I guess, I don't know. (laughs) Fair Fair enough, but you know who we did get to see? We got to see the Brazilian legend who I don't think will ever age in her life in, in Formiga. So never retire, always, Formiga. Never retire. Never retire. Just run the whole world. Go to FIFA. Take it over and just work I your mean, Brazilian magic. She can't be worse than who's in charge right now. I don't... Listen, I'll, I'll take... I don't know. Who's who's the youngest player on the U.S. women's national team? I will take them running FIFA at this point. Um, <laughs> and like I, I think, said, look, as long as you're not doing corruption, you'll probably be fine. I think I found my favorite name in women's soccer, too. Sandy Baltimore. That is yes. a great name. I just we always used to talk when I when I worked um at my previous job about if people had like quarterback names, that is just a good solid name. I don't care what sport. I love the name. So Sandy Baltimore, you are on my list of great people with great names. Not to take this down a tangent, but Sandy Baltimore is not just a good sports name. If you try to put somebody named Sandy Baltimore and other professions, you're like, Oh, that's a good name. Sandy Baltimore, a byline in like the New York times. Oh, that's pretty good. Sandy Baltimore owns a restaurant. That's pretty good, too. Sandy Baltimore is an objectively good name. <laughs> that is how we're going to close out segment one, folks, with with Sandy Baltimore being on both mine and Pardeep Katri's uh, list of great names. We will be back for segment two, and you are joining us on the Equalizer podcast. What's up, everybody? Jeff Kasouf here, founder of The Equalizer. I want to make sure that you know we also have another podcast called Kicking Back, which is interview-based. We talk to players, coaches, personalities from across women's soccer about defining moments in their career and some important things from the present day and look ahead a little bit to the future. We've had guests like Crystal Dunn, Becky Sauerbrunn, Jill Ellis, Bev Yanez, Ali Riley, Julie Foudy and Mia Hamm, so many already, and many more to come. So please go ahead and check out Kicking Back Pod on any platform you find your podcast after, of course, you've finished up with this episode of the Equalizer Podcast. We are back for segment two of the Equalizer podcast. Rachel Krigger along with Pardeep Katri. A reminder to please check us out on the web at EqualizerSoccer.com or for premium content at EqualizerSoccer.com slash subscribed. We are rolling out content for all the remaining Champions League matches. So find us at Equalizer Soccer and subscribe today. If you like what you hear on the podcast, please rate and review the Equalizer podcast today. We're on Spotify, Apple, and really anywhere that you can find a podcast. Um, so here we go for segment two. We've got a lot of... Um, rumors and confirmed moves and all kinds of stuff. We have a tracker on our um, Equalizer website with all the confirmed moves. We've got, you know, reports on the on the rumors as well. Um, keep your eye out on our Twitter feed. We're, we're updating that constantly, keeping it up to date, retweeting our writers. Um, one of our writers, as everyone knows, I'm not Dan LaLetta this week, but Dan LaLetta has his presence here on the show um, because he – um, first reported that Manchester United is close to being done to a deal of bringing uh, Tobin Heath and Kristen Press over to England to play. It has not been confirmed yet, but Dan is reporting that the deal is close to being done. That's a big deal. 
obviously. Uh, Pardeep, what are your thoughts on it? And obviously, there's, you know, they'll be joining um, Rose Lavelle and Sam Mewis, who are already in England, but with Manchester City. So we'll kind of have a little U.S. Women's National Team rivalry um, in, in England, which is kind of cool. Yeah, I think it's great that it's actually pretty easy to watch uh, FAWSL games on the FA player. But, um, yeah, huge move. I think Manchester United, they created their women's team just a few years ago. And they had to start in the championship. So, obviously, they were probably one of the more well-funded teams there. But I think at this point, now that they did their season in the championship, they got promoted into their first season in the NWS, FAWSL. <laughs> you were, I was looking to see what would be the next step for them. How would they show that ambition that people are expecting from them or people have already associated with them? And they were a little bit modest for a little while, but that's probably the first sign of it by signing Heath and Press. They're taking advantage, obviously, of the fact that the COVID-19 pandemic here means NWSL is going to have a very limited schedule and that players are available. But just because players are available doesn't mean you're always going to be inclined to get them. And the and United are picking up some very solid players and going to create very fun Manchester derbies for anybody interested in American women's soccer. Yeah, I think, you know, looking at their roster, they have a couple names that are pretty well known, well known. Lotta off, off from Sweden. You have Jackie Gronin from the Netherlands. Uh, of course, as we know, Netherlands runner up at the 2019 Women's World Cup, uh, to the United States, of course. Lucy Staniforth, who to me really kind of, uh, propelled herself onto the, the world stage. At that World Cup, Leah Galton, a lot of good names on there. But, you know, I think, you know, when you look at the rosters of some of these teams, like, of course, Chelsea, you have Sam Kerr. You now have, um, oh, who is the player I'm thinking of from Canada? Jesse Fleming just signed with yeah. them. Um, you know, there's a lot of good names. And I think just adding a player like I, I could not, you know, if this does get confirmed and if it does happen, as Dan is reporting, I think a midfield with Jackie Gronin and Tobin Heath would be really, really cool. Yeah. Right? Like, I don't think you can expect Manchester United, I was about to say City, to compete at the level of Chelsea, Arsenal, and City right now. But they're, I don't think they're going to be boring this year. And I think, like I said, they're taking that step up. That makes people want to watch them more. And Maybe they'll achieve more than they did last time out, which is obviously the very bottom line of what every team wants to do. I'm excited yeah. to see what they do with these two. Yeah, I'm, I also am. I think it's go, it's, you know, it's such a new team. It's such a new young team that it's like you get a player like Tobin Heath and you get a player like Kristen Press that come in and, you know, we talk about it all the time. They're not just players who are excellent on the pitch but they're leaders and they're world champions. And they've been obviously on some of the biggest stages in the world, whether it's the world cup, whether it's the Olympics. And then you mix that experience together with, you know, I'm going to keep talking about her. Someone like Jackie Gronin, who won a, um, a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Euro, Euro championship. Like it's, the type of experience that you're bringing to such a young team, I think that more than the play of Press and Heath, although they are fantastic players and we they have proven that they are just excellent on the ball. They can score. They can make plays. Kristen Press, I don't think there wasn't a time last year where we weren't talking about her when she was playing because of all the stuff that she did, all the goals she scored, all of the chances that she made. But I think that the experience and the knowledge that they have will help a young team like this succeed. Yeah, I think you outlined this point really well about this young team. Like all of the pieces are there to keep making this team interesting, keep getting this team better, especially with all the players you outlined and their coach who they, who's been buzzed about a lot, Casey Stoney. I think she was in the running a little bit for the England job. So again, like the, this team has a certain expectation as a, as a new and ambitious 
team. And so far they are, they keep rising at steady levels. And I think that's just something that I'm impressed with because I feel like at any given time, you're not, well, this is how I want to say it. It's not always guaranteed how a team, how a club will invest in its women's team until you actually see it happen. And because United is such a young team, like not just the players are young and the coach is young, but literally they've only been around a couple of years. You're not sure how dedicated the ownership group is yet until you have a lot of time to get to know them. But this is a good sign of that. Yeah, absolutely. To um, give a little context, too, to how young they are, their former captain was Alex Greenwood. I think it's a name that many um, know from England. Um, but their new captain for this for this upcoming year, Katie Zellum, January 20th, 1996 is her birthday. She is 24 years old. Um her and I were both born in the same year and that's what she's doing. And here's what I'm doing. Um, but that shows just how young the team is to have a 24 year old captain and, and someone that is really taking the reins of the team and kind of, you know, giving it, I don't, I, you know, she's not the face of that franchise, let's be honest. But I think that, you know, when you give someone that type of leadership and that type of uh reward for their skills, I think that's pretty, I think that says a lot about Katie Zellum. I think that says a lot about the club. Uh, Amy Turner is their vice captain, and she was born in 1991, so a little bit older than Katie Zellum, but still a, a really young team and a team that would certainly welcome Kristen Press and Tobin Heath with, with wide open arms. Um, and maybe maybe they'll have to hash it out with Gronin a little bit um, a, about the World Cup final, maybe there will be some. Uh, maybe there will be some memories, of course. But um, I, I think that it, it's a move that would fit well. And of course, with all the uncertainty in the NWSL happening, um, it, it's one that a lot of players are going to be doing, moving to these clubs over in Europe. But they're not the only ones. There's some confirmed moves that happen. We had Alana Kennedy and Shalina Zdorsky going to Tottenham from the. Orlando Pride. Um, Carson Pickett. How do we, what did we just say the name was? Apollon Cy- Ladies. Apollon Ladies over in Cyprus. That's where Carson Pickett is heading. And then another one. Uh, honestly, are the, if the NWSL does start up, they're going to be calling a lot of their reserve players because now Emily Sonnet is heading over to Sweden with Goatberg, uh, one of the more well known clubs. Um, is is that the same club that Allie Riley's at too now? Oh, oh, maybe. That's a quick Google search. What what do you yeah. think of um of the of the moves of Tottenham with with Alana Kennedy and Shalina Zadorsky and and you know with with Carson Pickett going all the way to Cyprus? One thing, Allie Riley is at Rosengard, so different ah, Swedish okay. team, but um. I'll start with Zadorsky and Kennedy. As I mentioned in segment one, I'm a Tottenham fan, so I've been paying attention to the developments of not just the men's team, but the women's team too. And so a little bit like what I said about Manchester United, you're looking to see a certain level of progress, right? Because they actually came from the championship at the same time as United. They were promoted the same season and they completed their first season in the FAWSL last year. Seventh place finish, pretty good for a promoted side. But you're always looking to see what they'll do next. And the first couple of summer signings from them were, I'm going to be completely honest with you, not particularly exciting. Um, a backup goalkeeper and a couple other players who I don't think, I don't know how much they raise the level of the team that's already there. And I was talking to someone, an Alice, actually, an editor on a different site I write for. Uh, I write for Cartilage Recapped and SB Nation's Tottenham site. So obviously we talk about Tottenham women as much as a lot. And we weren't sure how the club would respond to 
having to progress this team. You know, they're definitely doing it better than Liverpool. They're like the most infamous example of how a men, how a club with a men's team and a women's team, team treats the women's team. But, and, but Shalina Zdorsky and Alana Kennedy are examples of players who will improve that team. They are clear internationals. Um, well, uh, and they, I mean, it's not just their reputations, but as uh, people who have, played at the international level, but they're pretty good players. Obviously, both of them have played for the Orlando Pride recently, and that hasn't been an easy go of things at all. But it's a pretty encouraging sign from a team who I think needs to show what that next step is for them. Because they've carried over a lot of players that have been with them for a while, and those players have done well at the FAWSL level, but that squad needs more if they're going to rise up the ranks and compete. And signing Kennedy and Zdorsky is a great way to take advantage of the pretty terrible situation here in the U.S. <laughs> and hopefully continue and hopefully actually progress with this own with their team. If that yeah. made sense. Yeah, it did. Good stuff there. I think that. Yeah, you're right. I think it's interesting that the players from. Orlando specifically on defense are going somewhere because I mean we talked about it a lot last year they gave up the most goals in the NWSL it 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 needs to be said that the defense needs to be better of course I think the whole team needs to be better and I think instead of just you know sitting around and you know training is helpful yeah but I think game action is really where you're going to learn is where you're going to improve on those mistakes and I think these players going overseas is a good thing I don't think it's hurting the NWSL right now because I think it's going to make these players better and then when the NWSL does come back and when they have hopefully you know a regular season with quotation marks around the word regular um (laughs) I I think that it will make all of the teams better because their players had action. Their players had competitive games. I think it'll make for a very competitive NWSL season. And those two players are ones that have the Olympics on their mind right now. That's still on the schedule for next year. And they're not going to want to go into that with very limited game time. That's part of the reason why they're there. And part of the reason why they might end up staying there for an entire season. So, but for sure, the NWSL will eventually reap the rewards of that. Hopefully, by the time those deals are over and we can have some level of a normal life or whatever that means anymore. But for sure, I agree with that completely. Speaking of things getting pushed back, there's a segue for you. Um, <laughs> there, there is uh, talks first reported by Meg Linehan and Paul. Tenorio from The Athletic that Sacramento is going to come to the NWSL, it looks like maybe in 2022. So let's let's look at the timeline that we have. We have Ra- Racing Louisville coming in, in in 2021 next year. So that's obviously an expansion draft. And then you have Angel City. Um, don't know if it's going to be called Angel City FC yet, but either way, Angel City coming in Los Angeles in 2022. So then you have maybe another California team coming in 2022. That's an expansion draft for two teams. So that's a lot of players that are going to be trading hands. Um, so there's a, there's the report that they're going to be coming in 2022. They have a, an MLS team expansion deal as well. That looks like it's going to get pushed back to 2023. Sacramento Republic was supposed to be moved to MLS in 2020, uh, not 2020, 2022. A lot of dates here, folks. I, I promise <laughs> it's, it's, I know it's confusing. Um, right now, Sacramento has a USL team, um, as mentioned, Sacramento Republic FC. So, it's it's definitely interesting because California is a market that the NWSL has wanted to hit. They already have that confirmed with Angel City, and now they're trying to do it with Sacramento. There is kind of now the question of you know if the NWSL team you know gets gets started, gets off the ground, everything they compete in 2022, are they going to compete where Sacramento Republic plays in the USL because they're building a stadium and 
that stadium looks sweet, by the way. If you haven't seen on their website what the stadium looks like, you got to go see it. it. It looks really, really good, the idea that they have it. But obviously, with COVID-19 and everything, that might be pushed back as well, the completion of the stadium. So there's a lot of stuff I just said. There are a lot of word salad. Um, California, it's an area that they've wanted to hit. Do you think Sacramento is a good area? What do you think about this uh, potential expansion? I think it's very exciting. I, it, how many years have we been uh, wondering when are they actually going to give us real expansion news? And now in the span of about almost a year, we're hearing about three different expansion teams almost being spoiled. <laughs> but I think it's a great, I think it's a great move. I, I get excited hearing about any legitimate offer to expand into the NWSL because clearly it requires a certain amount of passion to be there. But the idea of them coming in, that's obviously a, that's, that's a soccer audience that people have been talking about for a very long time in a positive way. Um, they're going to have that stadium. And it's entirely possible that when, that when they come, they're going to bring with them a California rivalry. And like you mentioned, people in uh, NWSL circles have forever been talking about expanding to California. And they might do that with a California rivalry. How fun would that be? Oh, California rivalries are awesome. I mean, look at El Trafico that the L.A. rivalry has produced. But even still before LAFC came into existence, um, the San Jose and the L.A. Galaxy rivalry was always a good one, too. So um, to me, I still think the best rivalry is the Cascadia rivalry. I mean, I know in NWSL it's really the only legitimate um, geographic rivalry we have. Of course, you know, you have the Thorns and the Courage and their um, rivalry due to their battles in the championships. But, like, really the only geographic rivalry is that of um, of the Cascadia rivalry between the Rain and the Thorns. And even in MLS, it's a great rivalry between the Timbers and the, and the Sounders um, and tossing the Whitecaps there, too. But I think more rivalries the better. That's why, you know, not to get too off topic, um, I would love to see Cincinnati get a team now that Louisville has a team because that rivalry between Cincy and Louisville, that would be awesome. And you know I'm always going to push for Pittsburgh to get a team because that's where I'm from. But um, I would rather have Cincy get a team because that is such an authentic rivalry between Louisville and between um, FC Cincinnati that I've got gotten the the pleasure of seeing through the usl um and now through um well no not now through major league soccer because they're not louisville isn't in mls but hopefully that's something that we get to see down the road too rivalries are better i think they help the game and then i don't know about you uh party but i would love to see expansion into canada yeah yeah that i feel like that's I was thinking about it yesterday, just randomly. It feels like a very <laughs> obvious step to take at some point. I know Josie Altador has been out there saying, get an NWSL team in Toronto. Yes. And then <laughs> there's a te- there's a page for, like, Vancouver, I think. Yes. Yeah. Like, at some point, it would be a really, really good idea. There are definitely a couple of candidates there. We just talked Toronto and Vancouver. I mean, and we can't. Canada has a really great women's team, as we know. The national team is... Yes. There's potential there. Hopefully, under new leadership in Lisa Bear, who has been, oh my gosh, I have to imagine, overwhelmed with a lot of things since joining this job. But hopefully that's something they consider sooner rather than later. But really, it's probably going to be up to ownership groups in those particular areas wanting to get involved. And you will hope, actually, that that's a few great ownership groups show up. Yeah, for sure. Good stuff. And, uh, you know, expansion, always a positive talk for the NWSL. I mean, the, the numbers are very different between MLS expansion and NWSL expansion, but I think that NWSL, the, the more that teams are expanding and the, as the success of those teams come into play, I think it's a, a really, really good look for the league. And I, I just hope that the, expansion it's all been thought out very well so as long as it, it's very thoroughly thought out and not rushed i am a hundred percent for it yep same here 
Well, that's going to do it for the second segment of the Equalizer podcast. We will be back for segment three. We will answer some questions that we got, and we will talk about uh, our certain wish lists for players we would love to see in the NWSL. We'll be right back. Hello and welcome back. We're here for the third segment of the Equalizer podcast. I forgot to do this in segment two, but when we were talking about uh, some of the English teams and, and players going to England, um, if you don't know, the FAWSL is starting back up again on September 6th. There's a lot of really good matches happening. They're all um, pretty early, of course, in, in our time. Um, I know I'm on the East Coast. A lot of you guys on the um on the West Coast, are going to have to wake up really, really early if you want to watch it. But a, a lot of really good games. So just a couple highlights. Man, Manchester United against Chelsea. Um, we've got Tottenham versus West Ham. Arsenal against Reading. And then Austin Villa against Manchester City. And those are all going to be on Sunday. September 6th. So be sure to check that out um, if you can. And, you know, there's obviously a lot of players from the NWSL going over. So um, keep up with your favorite players. Keep up with your favorite teams um, with the FAWSL starting back up on September 6th. We have a couple questions that um, were submitted by some listeners for um, the Equalizer podcast. If you ever want to submit a question, just use the hashtag EQZPod or reply to the tweet whenever we send it out. Um, one of the questions we already answered, we're going to get, I'm going to get those out of the way, comes from, let's see, it's Jeffrey Creel. He said, this is my favorite question, I think. Sacramento, what's up with that? Um, if you, if you didn't listen to segment two, go ahead and listen to segment two. We talked about the expansion, Sacramento, um, it looks like they're going to be heading to the NWSL in, in 2022 with Angel City. So, um, we, we kind of talked about this. This, I don't think this question, um, had an ending to it, but it says thoughts on team, on the U.S. women's national team players having joined and are rumored to be joining, um, teams over in Europe. I think we both, uh, kind of talked about that unless you have anything to add, party. Nope, just moves that probably make sense for them. This this is a new one that we got um, because our our friend Dan Laletta he sent out a reminder about the questions and said, hey, if you don't want to hear uh, me answer them, here's your chance to ask and get different opinions. So we got a new one here, and I'm I'm really interested to hear your opinion on this because I have an opinion on this, and I don't know if I'm going to get killed for it, but we'll figure it out. Um, thoughts on <laughs> Kelly O'Hara's future with the U.S. Women's National Team, NWSL, and how much is reasonable for Washington to give up for her? According to some reports, um, Utah wanted to get Ashley Hatch and Tegan McGrady, and Washington said, nah, not happening. I don't blame Washington. I really, I understand. Thank you. Com- I understand completely why the Royals will want a lot. It, it's, but I'm also very understanding of Washington's position. I don't, I don't actually know how they find a middle ground, but well, right now I don't, I think you could, it, it's going to require somebody to bend some way. And I think if O'Hara really wants the move, which it seems that's the case, because I believe it was Stephen Goff of the Washington Post reporting that that's actually where she lives Correct. most of the time. I can see it getting done with somebody bending. It, uh, but man, I I don't blame the spirit for a second for not wanting to give up these two young players who might who will probably be the base of a team that hopefully rises to be one of the better teams in this league. I I think you, you hit it spot on. I agree with you a hundred percent. I think Washington and Richie Burke are really, I, I really commend them for putting their foot down. You just lost Rose Lavelle and to lose Ashley Hatch and Tegan McGrady. I need more from the Utah Royals. I need somebody like, maybe Zierra King or, or another young player tossed in there that goes to Washington because, and if this gets me killed, it gets me killed. 
Kelly O'Hara, according to Goff, had played, I think, 16 games in three seasons. That, and I understand U.S. Women's National Team, but a lot of those were injuries as well. And, you know, we, we had talked about it and we saw it and, and I think it was even mentioned at the Challenge Cup, O'Hara wasn't 100% there either. It is not, I don't think it's worth it. I get it. She's U.S. Women's National Team, but, at that point, how long is she going to be on the team? I think, you know, Vlako Andonovsky needs to start looking. And I am, if you have ever heard me on any podcast ever, whether it's Equalizer or somewhere else, I have always said, if, and I, I'm going to, I'm going to be a villain here and use the U.S. men's national team as an example. If, oh yeah, I know, I know, here we go. <laughs> if a player wasn't playing at their club level, there's no way that Jurgen Klinsmann, Bob Bradley, Bruce Arena, even Greg Berhalter would call them into a national team camp. And that wasn't the case for the women's national team. I mean, look at Megan Rapino from last year, not really knocking on what she did at the World Cup, but she didn't play club until August, I think. And she went, she was on a World Cup roster. And I think that now we have a coach with Vlatko Andonovsky with the U.S. Women's National Team who is looking at all of the talent in the NWSL and saying, okay, these are players that are actually playing and doing stuff for their club teams. That's who I want on the U.S. Women's National Team. Does that mean a lot of people's favorite players might get kicked off of the national team? It, it does mean that. But is it a good thing? Is it going to help the team? If those players who are playing at the club level can translate that success to the international game, it's a very good thing. So I, I think that, you know, going back to the trade with Utah, I think that they need to be realistic. They need to remember that Washington just lost Rose Lavelle, that Washington is a young team. You know, Kelly O'Hara brings a veteran presence. Absolutely. She has a world of experience. And like we talked about in uh, in segment two with Preston Heath, you know, potentially going over to Manchester United, that wealth of experience is really, really good. And it's great to have on the team. It's valuable. But at the same time, I think Washington, yeah, they want that experience, but they also want somebody who they can count on that's reliable, that's going to give them not, you know, 16 games in three seasons, 16 games in one season. So I think that Washington is is right to put their foot down. I think they're right to be picky. And I think that Utah just needs to be realistic. I know I made that into a whole thing, and I'm sorry. But I (laughs) only get to be on this podcast maybe once a month. (laughs) So I'm going to use the opportunities that I get to the fullest. Um, And if I get killed for my statement, then I get killed for my statement. It's not knocking Kelly O'Hara, I promise you. It's just... I'm I'm a realist and I look at the national team as a reward. I don't think players who don't play at the club level um n- need to be on the national team. That's just a, a that's something I've believed in for any national team that I I watch. Um so moving on to another question. <laughs> this okay. is from Hallie. She said, "How do you expect NCAA extra year of eligibility to impact expansion teams and draft classes. Cause I think it's official now that the NCAA said that, um, fall sports and, and, you know, schools and leagues and, and conferences that are missing out on, um, on a fall season are going to receive an extra year of eligibility. Yeah. That, that is such a meaty question. And it could go a lot of different ways, couldn't it? Sure. I think it's, just going to depend on individual players first. I mean, a lot of them might want to have that extra year. I mean, would they, I mean, they could just enter the draft in January if they wanted to, right? Like, let's just sure. say, right. So it's going to depend on individual players. It's such a weird scenario though. I don't, do you want to go into the draft without having played in, when's the last time they all played? It's been so many months. Last fall, really. Unless, yeah. unless they've, you know, had training with their, and I'm sure schools have had training in the spring before everything shut down, but yeah, last fall was competitive play a, a full year ago. 
Yeah. I, these are going to be tough decisions for really anybody around. It's, it's the right decision on the part of the NCAA. But after that, I mean, I can't imagine this is a straightforward decision for. Yeah, anyone. I think. It's it's interesting, too, now that the NWSL has that rule that you don't have to be um, a senior and you don't have to have your four years of eligibility before you enter the draft. You can enter the draft after your freshman, sophomore year. So I think that that whole rule makes it a little bit more interesting. I, I think that's a good word for it. Um, that is a meaty question that Hallie um, posed to us. Yeah. Um. We we kind of talked about this, but um, this one is from Tim at. I'm sorry if I if I mispronounced your last name, Tim. Um, it seems that mostly international players are getting loaned or signed to European leagues with so much non-U.S. women's national team American talent. Why are so few of these players? getting looks to leagues with fewer restrictions such as France and Spain. And this, and Tim is talking about players who might be on the U S women's national team bubble. They're in the league and they're American, but they're not on the national team. That's a good question. I think one thing we're going to have to think about is that Maybe some players don't want to go too far away from their families during a pandemic. That has to be the case for some. I don't know. But otherwise, it it generally is. That, that's, a, that's a good question. I think I wonder if the speediness of all of this, I feel like it's just been such a short amount of time since the collective soccer universe decided we should be playing games again. And I feel like it's just taking some time for maybe some people to adjust. So I wonder if more moves are still going to come, even if the European seasons are pretty close to starting. A few transfer windows don't close until later. So I wonder if maybe that's something that will change. I think if I hope for any players that do want to play that those moves end up showing up. But those are my initial thoughts on it. I don't think I have too much to add because you I think you hit it um hit the nail with the hammer. So um let's see what we've got here. We have um Another question about Morgan Gattrell, um, saying she's key to Chicago getting to their first championship in 19. She scored twice in her five recent, um, U.S. Women's National Team games. Why isn't she being talked about like Rose Lavelle, Andy Sullivan, and et cetera? Well, I think Morgan Gattrell has been on the unfortunate side of injuries. She has spent a lot of time in between 2015 and 2019, those World Cups, injured or struggling for playing time. And that kills momentum. It just does. Like Rose Lavelle, for example, she's somebody who really burst onto the scene in a true fashion after that. And then she had those injury problems. But she was probably playing enough to keep that momentum going. I think... If Morgan Gattro, and then after the 2019 World Cup, there are only so few games for her to play in. Um, I think if she starts, look, if she ends up finding game time, whether that be here or somewhere else, normal, no pandemic time or pandemic time, you know, whatever the case, and she's performing well, which we all know she has the ability to do, I'm sure people will be there complimenting her on her play as she builds that momentum and really again, starts to demonstrate. I don't think it's for a lack of form necessarily on her part. I think she's just been unlucky. Yeah, I would have to agree with you there. So thank you, everyone, for submitting the questions. Um, as mentioned, if you ever want to submit a question for a show, use the hashtag EQZ podcast. We're going to close out the show um, with a little fun wish list. Party, three players. Who do you want to see in the NWSL and why? Okay. So we were talking off air about this, but I think I'm under obligation to say Wendy Renard and the person I'm obliged to is myself. Because <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair. 
Yeah, because if we were we were joking, if I had a Stan account, it would be a Wendy Renard Stan account. I don't don't look for it. It's not mine. I don't have time to run Stan accounts or burner accounts. I barely have time to run my own account. Um, but gosh, she is just she's Wendy Renard. I feel like there's nothing even to say. It's all very obvious. She's Wendy Renard, so that's my first one. Um, the second one I picked. I know you are going to end up picking some players that maybe people haven't heard of, and that's not the approach I went with for reasons. <laughs> um, but, uh, I mean, there there are a ton of options out there. But the second one, I will say, is Vivian Miedema. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Yes. And oh, she's, she's just another player that I really, really enjoy watching. I think she'd have lots of fun here. I don't blame her for wanting to play in Europe near her country and where she has the Champions League. I can't believe I didn't squeeze this into the Champions League segment, but I wish we had comp- competitions here. That would be very fun. Um, now, now I'm just rambling, aren't I? Uh, but she's <laughs> the second one. <laughs> it's all good. And, yeah, yeah. And the third one. Um... Oh my gosh. I only came up with two. And, but I did, I did express some love for, uh, Katoto earlier. I, like I said before, big fan of her. I would love to watch her play in person. I've never seen it. And that doesn't rule me out of doing it in another place, like traveling and getting on a plane at some point in the future, hopefully. But I like things to be easy for myself. So if she comes here, that would be great. Good picks. I like it. And yes, you are absolutely right. I'm going down my list of people who there's there's definitely one that everyone's going to know. So I, I will save that um, for the middle pick. But my first pick, if you if you've seen my Twitter, you know that um, I'm not Costa Rican, but I have a fondness for Costa Rica and, and the national team of Costa Rica and um, long rant short, but um, I think we need more CONCACAF players in the NWSL. And my first two picks are, are from CONCACAF. And, you know, we have the Canadians and we have the U.S. players, but I think we need some Costa Ricans and some Jamaicans in the league. So my first pick is uh, is Lixie Rodriguez from the Costa Rican national team. I believe she's playing down with um, Alujuela right now, so I would love to see her. She's kind of like their Miss Reliable um, as a as a right back. So I, I really like her. I've, I I think she, it's funny because she's she's about my height. She's five foot one, and she's one of the like more fierce defenders I've ever watched play soccer. So I would love to see. Uh, her come to the league and join fellow Costa Ricans like Shirley Cruz and and Raquel Rodriguez. Um, my second pick that is from CONCACAF is Kadeja Bunny Shaw. I would love, love, love yeah. to see her in the NWSL just absolutely tear it to shreds and just go to town on defenses because she is awesome. I think she's great. Um, great for Jamaica, great at club level, and I think that she needs to be in the NWSL. And of course, my obligatory Russian pick, because I have to pick one from the homeland as I sit here and wave my tiny little Russian flag, Kesnia Kovalenko, who um, I made a mistake off air par deep. She plays for CSKA Moscow. And yes, we uh-huh. talked about this off air. There is a Russian women's premier league. Um, there are eight teams. I think the most well known are CSKA locomotive and now Zenit St. Peter's Petersburg. So, um, definitely a leak to keep your eyes on. Maybe an NWSL player will go on loan to Russia. You never know. Um, but I would love to see, as I, as I mentioned, more CONCACAF players in the NWSL. Um, party work South American for- players too. Yes, please. More um, Chileans, more Argentinians. We've got a lot of Brazilians, but we'll keep them coming as well. Um, just players from everywhere. Just bring them all. Just every player. Co- that's that's what the beauty of expansion is, right? We get more players. Yep. Oh, so yeah. um, I would I would love more more. Um, I guess under underknown, you know, not well known players into the NWSL to kind of just make a name for themselves. Um, where can people find you on the Twitter? My Twitter handle is pcatry, my first initial and my last name. I can spell that out for you too. 
P-C-A-T-T-R-Y. I don't know what I did, why I did that. But yeah, <laughs> you can find me there. I'm always looking for more followers. <laughs> That's for sure. I am at Rachel Krigger. There's two A's in my name, not just one. You can thank my parents for that. Um, follow <laughs> Equalizer on Twitter at Equalizer Soccer. We are on Instagram under the same name. We have our Facebook page, The Equalizer. Be sure to like, rate, review, subscribe to the podcast. Check us out, EqualizerSoccer.com. I know I mentioned that earlier, but I want to throw it in there because we've got a lot of stuff coming up with Champions League coverage, with with rumors and, and transfers. Um, there's a lot of really good stuff over there, and we're working our buns off. So give us a give us a follow, engage with us. We love to to talk with all of you. So. Um, that's it for the Equalizer podcast. Dan might be back next week. Who knows? But for myself and for Pardeep, we will see you all next time. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.